see this picture of the uh, so the headline is like a, a an airport van hits parked plane in China. All right, and that's interesting, but that happens from time to time. You know, these folks sure. driving the <clears> luggage <throat> things clip the wingtip or things like that. So then you look at the picture that goes with this thing. All right, and this guy managed to drive this van under the jetway and crash into the front gear uh, uh, structure of this airplane. He's got fuselage. He's got nose gear door, presumably some of the nose gear. Uh, How did he do that? I know. It's just like. What was he thinking? uh, There's a yellow line. Maybe he thought there was a parking space. I know. Was he like (sighs) sneaking underneath this thing? He said, I can make it. I can make it. Oh, I can't make it. I mean, he's just like smashed into the from the nose gear of this this uh, what, yeah. what what kind of airplane is that? It's a, it's a Boeing, I'm probably seven thirty seven, seven three seven thirty seven. I don't think it, maybe yeah. you guys you it guys says seven thirty seven eight hundred. Oh, does it? The, oh, well, that's the a picture good is clearly a Boeing, and and yeah. generally that's a that means seven three. So. Yeah, but uh, but he's like seriously smashed. This is not like you know, oops, I clipped the airplane. This is like you know. I don't know. Maybe he lost control, right? You know, and uh, well, it had to be an interesting trip because if you look on the right side of the photograph, Mm -hmm. yeah, through the through the uh, rolling structure supporting the uh, forward part of the jetway, yeah, you see the engine. There's an engine back there. Oh, that's right. So he he was not only he had to thread his way through. I'm telling you, man, he thought he was sneaking through. He thought I can make it. I can make it. I can make. Oh, I can't make it. Yeah, I have a feeling he may have been looking off to the left, and and up. Saying, "Wow, I'm just going to squeak under there." Oops, there's an airplane. <laughs> yeah. You know, whenever I take, whenever I uh, drive my car onto the uh, onto the airport grounds, onto the ramp, you know, and I have a, a non-aviation friend, a non-pilot friend with me, they're always just shocked that we're allowed to do this. All right, you know, I mean, and obviously in yeah, this day and age, yeah. we're a little less allowed, but you know, um, over the years, and in most GA airports, you still can do that. Yeah. Um, and they're always amazed that that you can do that. Um, and they and aside from security, they worry about you know aren't you gonna like smash into an airplane? Have you ever damaged an airplane with a vehicle on on the ramp? No, never even no, no, not even close. Really? No. So I'm not the only close. one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. Jim. Darn! I thought I was gonna like get some more juicy stories here, and I wasn't gonna be the only yeah, one. I actually, yeah. I, I actually, I didn't. Truth be told, I didn't damage a vehicle, a car with an airplane. I damn. Excuse me. I didn't damage an airplane with a car. I damaged a car with an airplane because um, we were uh, we were we had a buddy of mine. Wait, had, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You you were in an aircraft moving, sort of. Um, <laughs> okay, let's clear the slides here. Um, Jack, yeah, go right ahead. Tell us your story. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> The airplane was moving, but we weren't in it. Um, so we had gone flying. We were flying in a uh, Archer, I guess it was, and uh, we had taxied back to the parking space. And uh, the flying club that we belonged to, you, you had well, I guess it wasn't just a rule; you had to do this, which was you'd, you'd just stop sort of out in front of the parking space, and then you'd get out and you'd get the tow bar and you'd push the airplane back into the parking space. And um, people would park their vehicles, you know, in the spaces in between you know behind the tails of airplanes and you know in between the the uh, the tie down spots and so there was a jeep cherokee of some sort um that was parked it wasn't even ours all right and it was parked in the spot that would have been right behind the tail of of where our archer wants to be tied down 
and so uh, the two of us are up at the prop, up at the nose of our archer, and we're we're you know got the tow bar and we're getting ready to push it back, and and we knew the car was there. It's not like we were blind to the car, but we really misjudged how close or how how long the airplane was, I guess, and uh, and and as we were pushing the airplane back, we pushed it about a half an inch further than we probably should have. And uh, as a result, we bumped the tail, the, the trailing edge of the, uh, of the. Uh, I guess on, on that airplane it was like a stabilator, and uh, and we bumped into the tailgate of the Jeep Cherokee that was back there, and uh, it was very embarrassing. There was you know some damage, but it wasn't like we, we basically bent up the uh, trim tab on the uh, the back of the Archer and scratched the Jeep Cherokee, and uh, and we had to pay off the deductible on the insurance and. And we were ridiculed around the flying club for a while, and uh, it was embarrassing. So, so yeah, I did it. I, I, I damaged an airplane with a car and uh, smashed my head into airplanes any number of times. Are you guys even still there? Am I just talking to myself? Hello. 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 When did you guys lose me? Because I had a good old time telling that story, and then I suddenly you, realized you, nobody was listening. You, you were... <laughs> There was a Jeep Cherokee behind, and that's kind of where it stopped. Oh, okay. Well, let's see now. So, uh, you, yeah, you were about to move the airplane when yeah. So we had, went crazy on my end, right? We uh, we uh, yeah. So we taxied up to the uh, to the to the tie down spot, and we got out of the airplane, and we were getting ready to push it back with the tow bar, and uh, and we and we knew there was a vehicle back there, but we just kind of didn't realize how long the airplane was. And so as we were pushing the airplane back into its tie-down spot, we went about a half an inch further than we probably ought to have and uh, bumped. So wh- where did the half inch give, the airplane uh, or the, the, the Jeep? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, it bent the uh, the trim tab on the airplane, on the har- on the uh, horizontal stabilator, I guess it was, and uh, and we scratched up the car a little bit. Um, and so... Uh, we had to uh, we had to pay off the deductible on the insurance and, uh, mm-hmm. and we were ridiculed around the flying club for a little while after that and uh, um, and uh, I almost clipped the underside of a Cessna 140 wing at Oshkosh one year when the Gator that they issued me was one with a roll bar. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. And I'd never had one with a roll bar before. Every gator I'd ever driven up to that point, the top of my head was the high point of the vehicle. So we had, and all I had to do was make sure the top of my head never hit anything. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, almost went under this when somebody went, "Dude, oh, damn!" Yeah. And I went mm-hmm. back and begged and borrowed the motor pool for a gator without a roll bar, yeah. and it never happened again. Yeah. For those of us who are privileged to drive vehicles at, at Oshkosh, it is certainly a target-rich environment. Oh man, oh, big, you got to be time. careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know not only airplanes but people. Um, oh, yeah, people especially because you know, they, they've changed they're, they're the rules. Yeah, they, they've they're changed the rules to... over the last couple of years, and they've made uh-huh. they've restricted where we can drive these vehicles, and that's helped a little bit. But I've always tried to be awesomely careful when I'm driving mm-hmm. around there because, you know, first of all, I don't want to lose my privileges, and the second of all, yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody. So, uh, so yeah, that was my story of uh, of uh, of uh, airplane vehicle. Uh, well, we'll be sure, and it, 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 anytime we see you pushing an airplane backward, that we'll stand behind you and go beep, beep, beep. beep. <laughs> that would be wise. That would be wise. And uh, so I didn't actually read the story. I just looked at the picture about the Chinese van and the uh, the Boeing here. Does it say what happened to the guy? And it's like you know, 
No, I'm sure he's looking for work. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Send him to the gulag. This is China. Oh, that's not that's not China, but you get the picture, right? So no, I heard he's been sent to a driver re-education school <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to episode uh, 262 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. 262. Wasn't that a punchline in a George Carlin joke once? Uh, I I don't know. Was 262. it 262 punchline? Yeah, Jeb, you're George the George Carlin guy. Oh, I remember it clearly. Um, so, you ever get tempted to go through Jack and Box and order your favorite Happy Meal? Or you smile on Jack and the Box meal, and the smiling face comes to the window and hands you the sack and says two sixty two, and then you drive across town to the next Jack in the Box. You make the same order. You pull up to the window, and as soon as the guy opens the window, there you shove the bag at him and go two sixty two. You think that's? <laughs> I don't know, David. You think that's going to work? <laughs> It'd be fun to try, though, yeah. Um, um, 242 yeah, is a magic number in my life, but that's okay. Too, too, too many chemicals would have to be involved to pull that stunt. Well, you know, yeah, but, but... Hey, well, you know, you figure whoever's behind the window has been in there breathing the fumes of deep fryer oil and, you know, hot grill. And it's bound to affect their judgment. Yeah. So they might go for it, is what you're saying, right? Yeah. They might give me 242. Yeah. Of course, then I'd lose the meal. 262. 242 is my 262, number. 262, right. 242 is my number. 242 is uh, is my uh, was my draft lottery number way back. My ah. <laughs> lottery number. Uh-huh. Burn these yeah, things, get burned and, into and, your brain, right? That's something you don't soon forget. Yeah. And, and for those of you under 35, he's not talking about a sports draft. Yeah, that's no, right. No, that's right. No, no. no. I, I, yeah, I was tracking those for a few years also, and... Uh, one year I was in the three hundreds, and another year I was in double digits. And, right, uh, but you only had uh, you were only you really only were eligible one year, right? Well, you, yeah. In I mean, my in my uh, a young uh, and like you, you might never been eligible, right? I, I never was eligible, as it were. Um, the the uh, lottery system and, and I guess the draft itself ended before my. Uh, I came became old enough to uh, have to worry about such things, but it was something that I tended to kind of monitor mm-hmm. to see, you know, what the distribution was and the mean and the statistical average and all that kind of nonsense of which I know nothing. But uh, um, yeah, it was it was definitely something I kept tabs on. Yeah. Um, but uh, but this is two hundred and sixty two. Two sixty two. This is the Messerschmitt episode. Welcome to Jack in the Box. May I take your podcast? Please? That's right. And we have to be quiet for a minute to let the uh, theme run. Here it goes. Uncontrolled airspace with news and commentary from the world of general aviation. With insight from Jeb Burnside and Dave Higdon and moderated by Jack Hodgson. So we're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday, November 15th, 2011, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are uh, my two good friends. Uh, Dave Higdon's out there. He's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Oh, just lovely, finer and frog hair, beautiful day, got work to do, got uh, a, a nice Thanksgiving week coming soon, and didn't have to get up at O-Dark 30 to do this, so... That's a hat trick. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we were going to get up at O-Dark 30, but uh, but then that didn't work out. Uh, also here in their virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing this morning, Jeb? I'm good also. Um, you know, got my major projects done last week, uh, doing some cleanup and 
couple of other little things this week and uh, uh, trying to take it a little bit easier. Um, enjoying, uh, what is it, 79 now, right right outside the window. Yeah, okay. A bunch of, bunch of white puffies and uh, gentle breezes and uh, all is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you this week from the 31st floor of the Palazzo Hotel in Oso Glitzy, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, where I'm. Uh, on a little bit of a traveling binge again here for work, and uh, um, I gave you guys a picture. Did you look at the picture? It's like the fir- yeah. first item yeah. on the list is a uh, is a panorama thing that I took uh, out the window of uh, of my hotel room. That's my view. That's the best. I mean, other than when I got to to face the airport, which was the best view I ever had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now we're further up the strip. We're not near the airport anymore. So now we're kind of in the heart of things, and so my 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 room looks out across the Las Vegas Strip to the Treasure Island uh, and uh, Mirage. Was oh, that the is that the convention center there below you? What yeah. what is that that no, low actually, structure? That, uh, no, that's actually the main. That's probably the casino in the main part of the. Uh, hotel. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think you're seeing the pool there. Sort of the bluish right. thing is the pool, and uh-huh. then around that is that's uh, all the 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 uh, the the. Uh, Casino is under there, and the the shopping mall is in that area, and all sorts. Which of hotel are you in again? I, I'm in the Palazzo, ah, which, which is sort of partnered up with the Venetian. Which yeah, is, man, that's that's upscale digs. Yeah, it's a nice place. It's a nice place. I I would it's never handy, I, not real handy to the monorail, but not bad either. No, well, you know, we don't have any spare time to ride the monorail, anyways. But uh, um, actually, though, though, no, there's a well, I mean, there's a monorail uh, station like. Over at the Flamingo, I think, which is like two hotels away. So, um, but yeah, so this is where I'm hanging out this week, and uh, it's been kind of fun. Although you talk about weather, um, so you think I'm going to go into the desert, you know, and it's going to be warm as compared to my, you know, winter is looming in New England. Um, I've been here a week now. I've been here. This is my eighth day here, and it has been warmer in New England every single day since I got here. All right, the, the day <laughs> I left. You were going- the day I left, Indian summer took hold in New England, and it's been in the high 60s, and it even hit 70 one day since I've been gone. And well, what's the what's the weather in, in Vegas? In Vegas, it, it's it's getting up into the 50s and low 60s each day. Um, it doesn't, and it doesn't get much colder than that at night. It gets down in maybe the 40s, and uh, huh. but uh, and the locals it, are it, all just it, like it, freezing. It is out in the desert, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know yeah, it gets. It's, it's not you know, it's not like Sahara Desert. It's you know, it's our desert, which means it gets cold at night for sure. And well, that's because they pipe in water. Yeah, yeah, and uh, every few years, you know, or maybe not few, but you know, every now and then, you'll hear about snow here on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, mm-hmm. but, well, you're about. 2,000 feet above sea level, right. a little higher than that. And yeah. those hills that you can see off in the distance uh, on my picture um, actually right. look a lot closer by you know by the naked eye. This is because it's such a wide-angle picture. What did you shoot that with? Um, I shot that with a piece of software that's on my uh, iPhone called Photosynth. And uh, it's very, very cool because it makes it very easy for you to take all. That's probably a combination of uh, 10 or 12 f- uh, shots. And uh, and it not only helps you take them, you know, kind of, you know, make sure you've got overlapping coverage and everything, but then it stitches them all together. It took me all of 20 seconds to make that picture. I mean, it was, really? Yeah, you just snap 12 pictures. You snap as many as you want. You can snap the full, you know, not only 360 degrees. You can snap the whole sphere if you want to take the time to take all the shots, and it will stitch them all together and uh, makes a very cool panorama. Um, that's, that iPhone's a pretty cool toy. Shame it can't make phone calls. <laughs> I know. So, uh, so, anyways, uh, we better talk about airplanes before people start yelling at us here. Uh, 
Let's see now. Where are we? GA airplanes. GA airplanes. GA airplanes. You know. Well, GA airplanes. Yeah. David, what's going on with Mr. Greenwood? Uh, Mr. Greenwood. Well, Jim was uh, a real pioneer in aviation. He was flying under bridges uh, before some of our dads were kids. Uh, he was a pioneer in parachuting. Uh, he was a pioneer in aviation PR, helped. Uh, advanced the cause for aviation GA at uh, the old Beach Aircraft Corp before he crossed Wichita to go to work for a guy named Bill Lear with this new company called Learjet, and he hung around through the Gates years. Uh, he was a, a associate administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, Jim had a lot of influence over the direction of aviation policy uh, back in the FAA's formative years. Uh, anybody that did his first parachute jump in 1936 and flew under the 14th Street Bridge in D.C. Uh, gets, you know, big marks in my books because then he went on to do stuff that was a little saner and more responsible. Wait a minute, he flew under a bridge in D.C.? What, 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 <clears throat> what was he flying under the 14th Street Bridge? Because it ain't that far off the water. I don't think there's any bridge there is very far off the water. No, none of them in D.C. are very far off the water, no. Uh, and so did we understand you correctly? Did you say he flew under the 14th Street Bridge? Yeah. Well, okay. Good man. Good, good. I think you. it might have been a travel error, but I don't remember. It's been a long time since the, I've read the story. Yikes. The, I'm the, sorry. We the, interrupted the, you, so go ahead. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I got to know Jim Greenwood a little bit. Early in my career, uh, it was very low key. I mean, you know, he's like, "Oh yeah, I made my first parachute jump in 1936," and you, you go, "Wow, that's really cool." And then you stop and think, "Wait a minute, a deliberate parachute jump in 1936? Uh, wow, that's a little unusual." Yeah, yeah. Really? You know, that wasn't to yeah. get out alive out of an airplane. He went on and helped advance parachute jumping in the military during World War II. Wrote books about it. Uh, Jim was a uh, an original, uh, a, a bit of a character, a lot of fun to hang around. Uh, he was closer friends to some of my older friends, uh, and we hated to hear about his passing uh, a little over a week ago. But uh, his influence continues in uh, in some of what uh, is goes on in sport parachuting and uh, military parachuting and. And some regulations that have things to say about flying under 14th Street Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so this is in the uh, uh, in the in the I hate it when that happens department. Um, we've got a story here from uh, Avweb.com where they talk about uh, passenger witnesses failure. ATC notifies police. So what happened, I guess, is that a, a Dash 8 being operated by an airline in the United Kingdom uh, on takeoff lost one of its wheels. Uh, somewhere along after takeoff, the wheel just kind of fell off the hub. Yeah, it looks like the left side. Yeah, and so this is apparently... Uh, now, 
is this a high wing aircraft? I guess I'm very high wing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yes, obviously the passengers in the right position can see the wheels out there, uh, see the gear, and uh, it's just you know it's just gotta like change your whole day to be sitting there and kind of watching out the window and watching things go by, and then suddenly you see the wheel fall off, and you're going, oh, this is not going to end well. So, you know that gee, yeah, gee, that, I, that, that I didn't look right, do you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's supposed to do that. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, There's a troubling thing about this story, though. Yeah? What's that? Yeah, passengers sat there and saw this, and nobody reached up and pushed the flight attendant call button. Well, right. I'm sorry, they found out from a controller that saw the bloody thing come off. Yeah, but doesn't it also hit... Uh, now you're going to make me read the story, but I thought it said that a passenger... Well, it said first at that first. time, passengers told the senior flight attendant what they'd seen. Right. 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 After the flight attendant was sent back by the captain yeah. okay. but, yeah. to but take a look the, out the window. The tower controllers saw the whole thing, and that's yeah. how they alerted the pilot, right. probably yeah. before the gear even really got stowed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know, well, you know, I, I told you the story about that buddy of mine who lost a nose wheel tire off a Saab years ago. Yes. Um, I think I think actually your buddy told us that story directly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's quite a story. I would love to get him on the podcast sometime to tell that story if he dare. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, he and and it all ended ended well. Although he it, it turned into a little bit of a of a interesting adventure. Um, yeah. As I recall, and it wasn't it was. It, my sense of it was that it was never a dangerous situation. I mean, it was dangerous, but uh, you know, it was always under control. But right. uh, it, it turned into a thing that went on for a while, and, uh, well, and it's it's just well. rare enough to make the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we well, would be freaked out if it became so commonplace that nobody reported it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true too. But uh, you know, I, I doubt that this crew. Uh, did as he did, which is walk off the jetway singing, you picked a fine time to leave me loose wheel. <laughs> well, if that's not the title of the episode, I don't know what is. So anyways, they, uh, yeah, so the cockpit crew talked to people and they decided, to, oh, so they landed, right? And I guess it all went well. Did the gear collapse on the landing? Let's see, you know, no. aircraft no. landed successfully yeah. on a It runway. just grinded a lot of stuff off the bottom of yeah. the truck. Well, well, probably not. I mean, they got the main. They got the other main. Yeah, the other yeah. wheel is there. This is a dual yeah. wheels, and only one of the wheels fell off. Yeah. And uh, so chances are that they were able to kind of gently set it down on the ground and have it all hold together. So yeah, just just set it down gently and let it roll straight and stop and get towed to the gate. You're done. Yeah. So well, there you go. That's, now uh, I saw it. Saw that a main gear truck break off of a military King Air once. Ooh, that sucks. I was looking at it. I had a had a job uh, at an outfit where my office overlooked an airport. Mm-hmm. And this King Air had been in a pattern most of the morning, uh, doing air work and practice approaches. And it did a touch and go. And when it touched and went, as it was climbing out, something kind of looked odd when the wheels started to fold up. And I looked, and there's this... This uh, uh, this gear truck with a tire attached came down and hit the ground and bounced way the hell in the air. <laughs> Inflated tires tend to do that when there's not much airplane weight on them. Yeah, and but when it came down the next time, the 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 broken off piece of metal actually kind of impaled itself in the ground because the bounce made it spin around a little more. Uh-huh. Uh, and I uh, called the. Uh, the airplane on the Unicom, 
and somebody called uh, the approach facility that would handle that traffic. And the King Air came back around and did a couple of low passes uh, with the wheels down uh, and, you know, about 30 people confirming, yeah, there's no wheel there now. Came off the starboard side. And uh, we thought, wow, this is going to be really interesting. We'll get to see this puppy land gear up. And it's like, no, they went back to the military base where they were and uh, foamed a runway and or foamed some grass, I understand, later. They put it down on foamy grass with all the wheels up. They went down. They went back to where their personal vehicles were parked, dude. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lost a wheel on my car one time. I was driving along the road. I was. Uh, I, it's all my fault. This is totally my. This is. I was a kid. I've never. You know. Only now am I becoming a hardware person. In my younger days, I sort of pretended to be a hardware person, and and we had. Uh, I think we had like repl- replaced the brakes or something on the car, or we'd repacked the bearings on the wheel. This was a front wheel on my uh, on a Mercury Capri. And uh, so we had taken the whole wheel assembly off. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like one big, there's a hub and then there's a central bolt with some cotter pins in it. And, and we put it back all together and something didn't get tightened enough. And so uh, an hour after putting it all back together again, I'm driving down the road. And I'm, I'm literally driving along the road and I suddenly see my tire just shoot out ahead of me. It just kept going. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, it had way more you know, energy and momentum than my car did. So once it broke off the, uh, off the axle, it just shot off ahead. And I instantly knew what it was. And I'm going, oh man, this is not good. And, but the car didn't actually tip over. I mean, I sort of had enough balance that I stayed on three wheels for for a few moments, and I was able to gently brake the car and uh, and slow down and uh, and pull over. And as I pulled over, it just kind of like you know it's like almost a cartoon thing, you know, where you kind of slowly slowly come to a stop, and then as the car stops moving, it suddenly tips sideways by like you know thirty degrees. <laughs> yeah. I, I have this I have this mental image of the tires thinking to itself, must get home before Jack, yeah, must get home <laughs> before Jack. Yeah, so. Uh, um, those old those Mercury Capris, man, they were durable cars because we went and retrieved the wheel and put it back on, and I drove that car for a few more years after that. Um, Land, landed an airplane once with a flat nose tire. Yeah, that must and have did, been. Didn't know it was flat until we put weight on it. Uh, that could be really hard on your ankles. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, David, you found a us a bargain bird of the week. Yeah, I'm going to try to do this uh, on a fairly regular basis here for a while and see if it That'd goes anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, I was stumbling around looking for some information for a story that I was doing and shot through to a couple of links to airplanes for sale because the keywords fit and looked at one of them and it's like, how rare is this? A 1946 airplane for sale by its original owner. Wow. Wow, yes, absolutely. Uh, 1946 Navion Model A. Uh, 1,067 hours on the airframe. Mm. Jeez. Yeah. Guy didn't fly it much. I guess not. Uh, 120 on the engine since major. Uh, 25,000 gets the airplane on trader plane. And if you're not familiar... The uh, 1946 Navion A, it's a, uh, it's got a Continental E85 engine, which I believe is 205 horse. 
Uh, now, uh, the the E185 um, is a 185 horse engine. Is it a 185? Yeah, they can be upgraded to 205 and then 225. The base, same basic engine was in the early Bonanzas. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, I, yeah. somewhere there they went up to the 205. I've flown a couple of 205 horse with Bonanzas with right. 185. Anyway, uh, original engine's been overhauled. Uh, it's out of annual. But all the ADs for the airplane have been uh, complied with. Uh, it was professionally restored in 03. It's got some basic radios. Uh, it's got auxiliary, auxiliary fuel, uh, an extra 20 gallons. It's a very large cabin, uh, low-wang retract. Mm-hmm. Warbird. Uh, and yeah, well, if in some configurations, uh, yeah, I yeah. think this one was built before the uh, Air Force bought a bunch of them, right? Uh, and designated them. I think they were L-17s. Uh, but this it, Navion's are great old airplanes. They are direct descendants of most pilot junkies' favorite fi- fighter, the P-51 mm-hmm. Mustang. Right. This is the airplane. This is the type of airplane that Jeb and I uh, got a ride in at Oshkosh a couple of years ago. From, from, from Jonathan, yeah. Right, Navion guy. Yeah. Our friend yeah. Jonathan, yeah, Navion right. guy. Yeah. And, uh, yes, he very proudly describes it. I thought this, I'd pull this out and say, okay, folks, uh, you've heard us uh, moan and complain about the, uh, uh, the contention that Aircraft are just too expensive, and there's no good deals for worthwhile airplanes out here. Uh, I think for somebody that's interested in a nice starter retract airplane, a $25,000 Navion A, one well, owner would not be a bad place to start looking. Don't, don't, um, don't fall head over heels yet. Uh, first of all, the engine... Uh, is is a little problematic. You can I'm not sure you can even buy cylinders for it anymore. Uh, you certainly can't buy you know crankcase. Uh, you can't buy new. Let me let me put it that way. You can buy yellow tag. You can buy reworked and, and things like that. Uh, a lot of hydraulic systems on this bird too. Um, Twenty five grand uh, <clears throat> is a little bit precious, even if it's low time. Uh, then you got radio issues. I don't know. I, it, it depends on you know if you're really after an early Navion, that's one thing. Uh, if you got twenty five grand, well, it's going to be it's going to be uh, forty five before the smoke clears. Before you got to run and fly an airplane because it's been sitting for three years. You got a major annual coming up. You got um, uh, you don't know what you're going to find. Uh, you're going to want to do some stuff to the avionics, you're in, you know, uh, soon. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is, is, is all that good a deal right now or not. There, there are going to be other, there going to be certainly other Navions out there, uh, that are going to be running, flying in annual, um, for not that much more money, all things considered. So I don't know. Well, I don't that's know. My I mean, question: What's a what's a good airworthy, you know, in good shape navy on? Well, well let's let's go look. Um, um, let's see. Uh, single engine piston. Navion, Navion, Navion. Okay, Navion. let's see. I'm piston. looking at a 51B yeah, model for 18. Well, there you go. Uh, a 46L17, all polished out and tricked up for 45. Mm-hmm. 
and that's the mm-hmm. only two I found at that place. Here, here's here's a here's a forty seven with a two hundred five in it, or it says two hundred five. I don't know what that means. So it still says the one e one eighty five engine in it. Uh, fre- in in fresh annual for thirty five five year old paint. So right away you save ten grand, or, or you know, um, probably cost you ten grand to get this get the uh, first one there airborne. Uh, after annual and, and fixing stuff, so I, you know, if you're there's another one here, thirty nine five. Uh, there's a looks like supposedly a cream puff, I would guess for uh, uh, one nineteen. Hello, come in. Um, yeah, I see one for fifteen. I see one for yeah. twenty one. But it's not a bad airplane to start yourself out with. No, yeah. it's they're not. Roomy, it, they fly really well. They do. They're, and they're another very thing about, nice handling airplanes. Yeah, another thing, nice thing about these Navions is that uh, there's a very, very vibrant community of, of Navion owners. Um, they, mm-hmm. uh, so you're going to have a mm-hmm. lot of support well, um, in terms of uh, you know how to take care yeah. of it and how to find parts and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's another one here. Um, it's a 48. Uh, it's painted Warbird colors, 25 hours on the prop. Dual nav comes with DME, GPS, ADF, 20-gallon aux tank. Also, leather interior, custom IFR panel. We'll consider all offers listed for 39.5. So, you know, for you know, 10, 14 more grand, I think you're probably going to be have you know, a little bit better luck in the short term. I don't know. You know, it, it all depends. This one out annual could be a cream puff, and and uh, um, uh, could be uh, you know just what you just what you want. If you're interested in Avion, though, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, um, forego looking at some of these others. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. the only the only real issue here is that 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 180 the E series Continental engines, they're just starting to get a little long in the tooth, and there's there's very little if any factory support anymore. Uh, um, and the, the hot lick is always going to be re-engineing with a 470 or a 520. Right. Um, but uh, you know, then you're starting to talk real money. In in this market, hello, come in. In this market, um, it's easier and cheaper to find an airplane with everything you want already having been done to it, with all the equipment you want. Uh, yeah, okay, you might want to redo the interior at some point. Maybe it needs paint down the road, uh, things like that. But uh, it's not that hard to find <clears throat> a well sorted airplane. Um, with all that stuff already having been done, and the way the market is, it's going to cost you a lot more um, to to get it done after market than it will to buy it in in a package already done. So I, yep. yeah, um, and there are guys that would be just really smiling to have an airworthy airplane that they can oh, yeah. fly VFR, uh, do their hundred dollar hamburgers, do their short weekend trips. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Navion's a great place to start looking. It is. Uh, as you've heard here, there's a lot of stuff out there that could get you started down the road for not a lot of money. Some of it's going to need some work more than others. And like Jeb pointed out, some of them are going to be good deals right out of the box and ready to fly away and do your Thanksgiving trip. On. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Um, and listeners, if you know of any uh, uh, interesting airplanes that seem to be a real bargain, uh, send them along to us, and we'll talk about them on the uh, on the podcast. There you go. And spread the word. Um, you can put an entry in the forums or send us an email at uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. 
Hey, so you know you uh, you know they say you can take the uh, the boy out of the airplane, but you can't take the airplane out of the boy. Um, Bert Rutan retired from uh, from scale composites and from his all his career of design work. Uh, I, what a year ago, a couple of years ago, something like that. And uh, we discovered the other day that in his spare time he is taking a shot at designing yet another airplane. Uh, this is kind of cool. Uh, he. Uh, uh, this is from uh, the EAA.org website, and uh, uh, editor-writer Steve Shapiro over there uh, heard, got word through the grapevine that Bert, um, who has retired to, what, Idaho, I think, or something like that, Montana, yep. I forget, which, Idaho, Idaho um, is, uh, which it always struck me that he's lived for years and years and years in Mojave, which is a very specific kind of, you know, climate and right. decides to go to Idaho uh, to retire. It's going to be very different up there, but uh, but he, 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 you know, I'm sure he knows what he likes. Anyways, he's up there, and uh, the buzz was that he was working on an airplane design, and so Steve uh, uh, tracked him down, got him on the phone, and asked him, and he confirms that he is, just as a hobby, um, uh, taking a shot at building what, let's see now, what did they described it as? A, uh, a, a, a wingship seaplane. Um, in, inspired somewhat by these old uh, Russian designs that from from way back, from like 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and yeah, the, the, the Soviets practiced, uh, it played around a lot with ground effects vehicles yep. uh, as a way to uh, kind of move lots of load over uh, bodies of water. Now, wait a minute. Now, so that I didn't realize. These are pure ground effect vehicles? They're not intended to fly up above? They got effect? some of them out of ground effect, but okay. they, they started out as ground effect vehicles and go very, very fast without touching the water. Yeah. I, you know, when I, when I first read this story, I got the impression that what Bird is working on is, uh, is, a, is a, an amphib or, or a seaplane. He is. He that, is. That will fly above ground effect. will actually, you know, get mm-hmm. some altitude. But... Uh, Bert's quoted here as saying, um, confirming that he says it's a combination wingship and seaplane. He says, uh, let's see now. He says revealed that the he's calling it the 372-3, um, which probably means it's his 372nd design or something like that. Uh, inspired by the Soviet Ekronoplan, um, he learned about Ekronoplans. Yeah, yeah, while on a trip to Russia nearly two decades ago. Um, there's a couple of pictures and, and, of the and, Russian one in the uh, in this article. Um, that, that word translates to surface planes. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Bert then goes on to say, but people shouldn't expect that this is going to come out, um, and they'll, they'll get plans in January. He says, I don't have a schedule. He says, he says, hell, I'm retired. I'm just doing this for fun. It's possible that <laughs> he says it's possible that it won't work, and then it won't even perform like I think it might. And if it doesn't work, you know, it won't. You won't hear anything more about it. You know, so. Uh, but, uh, you know, you kind of knew. I, you just kind of figured, how could Bert really give up designing airplanes? Really? Um, really? It's just so much of, of who he is and what he does. He, you know, it was always clear that he did this because he was had a passion for it, not because it was a job. And uh, I, the idea of him just stopping was always kind of, huh? So so that would be cool to see a new Bert Rutan plane one of these days, you know, and uh, won't hold our breath. But, uh, but he's going to have to he's going to have to get current and seaplanes again. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you get get uh, Mike. I want to say Mike Miley. That's not his. Uh, who's his uh, Mike? Uh, uh, his uh, test pilot guy there. Um, oh yeah, Mike Melville. Um, Mike Melville. Right, Mike Melville. Right, right. Uh, Mike Miley. Somebody else. Hi, Mike. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I'll get Mike Mike Melville up there to help him test fly it, and 
So that'd be cool. That'd be cool to see a new Burt Rutan design one of these days. Let's see now. What's, oh, this is a story that's going to become a scandal. I really, this is a bad, bad thing. Uh, we talked about it. We had a hint of this a while ago. We talked about it on the podcast that the FAA was considering um, making a lot of the chart products and the and the chart data, uh, net aviation data that's currently free or available, you know, very easily on the internet, make it not free anymore. Mm-hmm. And now they're starting to talk seriously about doing just that. Uh, Let's see, the story we're looking at is another AvWeb story. The headline is uh, FAA to charge companies for online charts and no access for individuals. Have either of you looked into this story at all to see what's going on here? Can you describe it better than me? Jeb, you want to go? Um, Jeb, you yeah. were actually, you know, you were really did a lot of work a while ago trying to understand I, I, what was available look, for free. Yeah, and, I, I looked into this, uh, it's been a couple, three months now, and in fact, uh, uh, wrote up some information about it in a uh, recent issue of Aviation Safety in the editorial section. Um, and uh, basically this article is correct based on my understanding. I think some things have progressed uh, further along uh, since I was in contact with the agency about this. But uh, the punchline here is that uh, I guess back in either, I guess around August time frame, <clears throat> the FAA had put on its uh, – uh, put a very small blurb on its website uh, pages um, associated with downloading uh, uh, some of the digital um, charting uh, materials um, that uh, um, as of such such a date in October, and that date is kind of gone, that um, um, the data would no longer be free, for would no longer be available uh, until 24 hours before its due date, okay? Um, so that casual users, um, those of us, for example, who are putting together magazines and kind of need a chart every now and then, could still be able to download this, this data uh, and, and use it in the, um, uh, and contemporaneously in, in the, in the uh, time frame with, within which it's current. Uh, but the, the timing of the... Um, um, 24 hour thing before it becomes current would have effectively uh, made uh, vendors like Forflight and, and Wing X and others um, uh, um, uh, would have really put a cramp in their style because regardless of how all this stuff gets uh, downloaded and is accessible to a vendor. They still they still have to massage it. They still have to package it. They still have to make it available for the download. And the in, in consumer still has to be able to download it and do so in advance of of the effective date. So what the the concept back then was uh, was for the FAA to charge um, whomever the, the public generally for uh, access to the data prior to the uh, 24 hours before it went current. Okay, uh, some of that I understand. Now, however, they have have radically changed a lot of this this concept and will no longer, according to this news article, make it available for free at all, regardless of of the time frame. Um, I think two things irrespective of what's going on here and I'm not sure what's going on uh, based on that real brief history and based on this news story um, someone in the FAA has decided that you know we, they can no longer give this stuff away for free um, the um, um, thought process, the rationale behind all that 
uh, we keep seeing, we've seen two different versions now, which is, um, um, you know, if you want the if you want the data beforehand, well, you have to pay for it. Okay, that that on one level that kind of makes some sense. Now they're saying that um, um, basically they have to preserve the the standards and the, and the quality of the data that's being distributed. Well, that's uh, that strikes me as a little bit of blowing snow mm-hmm. um, yeah. because if if the if the data is bad when they ship it, then that's a whole different set of issues, okay? And how the data is used um, is is up to the end user. I can download all the charts I want. I can go buy all the charts I want and wallpaper my house if I wanted to. It's not, you know, it's not the FAA's deal uh, how, how I use the data. Um, basically, this is, um, uh, in my book, um, let's let's let me how should i put this i i think you have uh, a situation where some of the 800 pound gorillas in the aviation charting data business have been looking over their shoulder at the proliferation of uh free or low cost charting applications uh whether it's an ipad uh, platform or some other platform and have kind of sort of decided that maybe that's a, a form of competition with, with up with which they shall not put. And um, that's what is, I think, driving a lot of this. One of the telltale factors here is the changing story from the agency on how this is going to work. Uh, the other telltale factor is all of a sudden, you know, they're going to start charging for it all yeah. uh, and not make any of it available. My view, of course, is that that uh, uh, horse has already left the barn. Mm-hmm. They've already made all of this data free for the download for uh, months slash years, and this goes back. <sighs> this goes back into the middle part of the decade when when uh, uh, FAA took over uh, the charting function from what was the National Ocean Survey under uh, under the Department of Commerce. Um, and uh, slowly but surely integrated all of this, and, and, and slowly but surely, initially, you could download approach plates for free, uh, and then um, uh, they started adding other, uh, uh, other publications like the airport facility directory and various things. And, of course, now, you know, sectionals, in-route charts, high-altitude, low-altitude, the whole plethora of FAA charting products is available free for the download on the FAA website. Now they're closing that barn door. And uh, personally, I think it's a very, very bad mistake on, on the FAA's part. Uh, ultimately, I'm, I'm optimistic some cooler heads will prevail. It's, it's likely that uh, some of the alphabet soup will have to get involved to make that happen. Uh, it's also likely that um, uh, this, this could be a real battle royal here between... Uh, uh, those eight hundred, those aforementioned eight hundred pound gorillas, and the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be interesting to watch, and uh, unfortunately, I kind of sort of have a vested interest, as do I'm sure a lot of our listeners who, uh, you know, have an iPad with with four flutter wing X on them, uh, and and in some fashion or another, some other platform maybe, but in some fashion or another, avail themselves of these uh, of this data. Um, the other thing going on here, I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to shut up. Uh, 
Uh, in my book, the incremental cost to the FAA of making this data available is nil. Once, once the, the data is assembled and published as uh, uh, an approach chart or as a low-altitude in-route chart or as AFD data, once that job is done, then the FAA's costs uh, are nil uh, for making this available free for the download. If it, it should be considered a public service. It should be considered uh, something that the FAA does to promote aviation safety. Uh, the 800-pound gorillas be damned. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's about all I'm going to say and let you all talk among yourselves. Yeah, and you wouldn't, it wouldn't seem that they're going to be able to make all that much money in the you know, federal budget scheme of things um, no. from selling no. this data um, because you know, you got the, you know, the uh, four flights and the Jeppesons and, you know, those kind of big dogs maybe can afford to pay for this stuff. But well, they're the ones making good money off of yeah, it. Yeah. And, you know, well, uh, and, and no objection to that. Uh, Jeppesons, uh, Jeppesons, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, no objection whatsoever to Jeppesons making big money. No objection whatsoever to four flight making big money. Uh, but, but those are two, you know, certainly those are two of the name brand players here. But keep in mind that the Jeppesons product uh, is completely different from the FAA product, and Jeppesen uh, has a, a much larger infrastructure um, based on getting the raw data, the non, uh, shall I say, pictorial data, uh, and and massaging that data and using that data to draw the pictures, to draw the uh, the um, uh, uh, charting uh, products that we see and that we've that we've come to expect from Jeppesen. The, the basic data, all, all the, um, all the uh, conversations that I've seen over the years relative to the difference between the, the raw data, which you can buy uh, and or download from various, well, certainly from the FAA anyway, uh, and it's just a textual uh, thing. It, it you know, um, specifies, um, uh, I should say, alphanumeric is basically what it is. And you use that data to, in fact, draw the picture. Jeppesen adds value to that mm -hmm. basic data yeah. by verifying it, by producing uh, uh, the graphics and, and uh, 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 pr printing the charts and, and all this kind of thing. Um, FAA's Aeronav branch, the, the branch that actually produces these charts, does much the same thing. They add value to that, but it's still all government data. And, um, you know, should, should the FAA make some money on this at some point? Again, that horse has left the barn. They're, they, they've already made this data available for free. Whoever made that decision back in the day, they should be able to, they should have to live with it now. Well, I object to the elimination of access to the general public more than more than any of the rest of this. Uh, you know, it, before the internet, before online access, we got no charting for free. I mean, we had to buy paper, and we bought paper proportional to our needs. Uh, I don't even object to paying the FAA a small amount if they can give me an online download for, you know, the chart books or, or the charts and the plate books that I want. Uh, but this idea that we're all going to have to go through this third-party vendor uh, process, uh, wed ourselves to somebody else's product and maybe their uh, hardware device, uh, yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's an element of this that's gone from blowing snow to blizzard level. Right. 
Uh, and I just took the opportunity to create an account and sign the White House petition asking the FAA or asking the White House to make the FAA reverse this. Mm-hmm. I'd yeah. encourage others to read it, consider doing it, and, and act in your own, uh, on, your, on your own conscience. But uh, I don't object to paying a small your- amount, but like you said, we've been getting stuff that we could print for ourselves for free for a long time. A lot of it, we have to say, uh, thanks to the nudging and, and, and browbeating of one Phil Boyer when he was head of the uh, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Uh, he was also after some kind of open architecture uh, database upgrades for avionics so that there was an alternative to, you know, you being stuck with what Garmin charges if you got Garmin or stuck with what Honeywell charges or whatever for databases for your GPS. Uh, that never came to pass. But the access to charting, and I would bet money that if AOPA members unless AOPA stops doing it, would continue to be able to get the chart products for free through their AOPA membership like you can now. Uh, but this is this smacks, like Jeb said, of, of some, some gorilla weight being thrown around, and we understand how things work in D.C. There's lines of communication that work easier for some than for others we need to avail ourselves of the ones that work for us and make them work for us yeah yeah and david makes a good point there is a uh, an online petition that you can go and express yourself if you choose uh, it's at uh, white we'll put the full link in the show notes or jeff will but uh, um, you can go to whitehouse.gov petitions and you might be able to find your way to this petition which is called let's see here but we, we should be able to put a link to this in the show notes we absolutely will yeah. but if you want to yeah. try and search yeah. for it before the show notes come up uh, online uh, ask FAA reversal charge government approach data download you, you dig it out or, or, or look at the show notes we should move on here let's see well um, real, real quick to close yeah. this out that petition needs 25,000 signatures by December 14 for to 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 get consideration that is to be moved right up. I'm sorry? Right. It's only got 14 right now. Right, it had 13 when I created the account for myself. So yeah. Yeah. Uh we're a long way from we're 24,986 as of now. Act accordingly, folks. Well, okay, let's get on it. This next story, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but it caught my attention. So uh, a helicopter crashed in Indiana recently. Uh, the story is dated November 5. If nobody was there, did they hear it? Yeah. <laughs> well, there were. There were there were six people on board. There was a pilot and five passengers, um, and they crashed in what appears to be a, a farm field, a wheat field, an agricultural field of some sort. Um, and, and the headline of the story is, Copter was flying low on visual rules before crash. And reading the story, it seems to try and be implying that weather was, the bad weather was the cause of the crash, and, uh, um, you know, that he just kind of got, you know, flight into IMC kind of things, all right? But this just kind of doesn't ring true to me. I don't know if you guys have the same impression here. The whole point, so let's see now, a pilot, the pilot of a helicopter that crashed in Noblesville with five passengers was flying on visual rules and had to stay below the clouds, federal investigators said Friday. The FAA is investigating Thursday night's trash, crash in a cornfield. Um, the Eurocopter EC-130 was flying to Indianapolis from Fort Wayne when the pilot encountered heavy rain and tried to divert to Noblesville Airport, authorities said. All occupants walked away from the wreckage before it burst into flames. Okay, so it apparently contacted the ground pretty firmly. 
it's a helicopter, all right. If you're if you if you're getting weathered in, if you're getting you know uh, uh, socked in, you land. You got a you got a wheat field here. I don't understand how this helicopter crashed. All right. I don't either. And and here's here's the the punchline here. The the story is accompanied by some images, uh, apparently snapped by uh, uh, the 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 name is. Uh, um, Lawrence, uh, apparently just a citizen, uh, who uh, lived in the neighborhood where <clears throat> where the helicopter was landing, and and saw it, and it's it looks there's some hanging down from from one of the skids. I can't really figure out what that is. Uh, maybe it's uh, just a, just the skid structure itself. I can't really tell from some of the, uh, uh, the, the perspective in this image. But the last image of the aircraft before this quote-unquote crash shows it uh, intact, apparently under control, and maybe, again, it's hard to tell from the image, but maybe 50 feet or so off the ground about to land. And then uh, the following, there are six images here, that's the third image. The following images are of uh, a conflagration on the ground at, taken at night. Um <sighs> I don't get it. Yeah, me neither. I don't get it either. You know, one of the, one of the later graphs in the story says investigators will trace the pilot's last 72 hours before the crash, examining the maintenance records of a helicopter and see what role weather could have played. There's something else going on here. I, I would love for our our listeners who are helicopter people, Turbo and others, to uh, to check in here and May explain I to us. May I direct your attention to something in yes. the third photograph? Sure. What's that? Yeah. You see those two lines. Going from the center. I see the, the I see the power lines. I see the power lines. I, I can't help but wonder if he wasn't cruising along that field, uh, trying to decide where to put it down or whether to put it down, and clip the power lines. And clip yeah. the power line. That's a yeah. that that starts to explain it. Yeah. Those yeah. puppies are damn tough to see when you're when even on a clear day they can be tough mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't I didn't catch that, and yeah, that begins to give us a hypothesis that it makes a little more sense. Well, I mean, I got nothing to you know I, I I've got no reason to say that that's what happened, but when I look at the direction he's going here. Uh, and the direction the wires are going, uh, you know, something had to crazy go bad here for him to crash hard enough, for every, just hard enough for the, air, the helicopter to get wrecked and catch fire, but not so hard that everybody couldn't get out. Yeah, now, the point. field can catch fire from hot exhaust parts really easily. You spill a little fuel if you're over on your side, and the next thing you know, you got... Wheat stubble catching the fuel on fire, catching the airframe on fire, and bring hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Jeb, Just don't you, uh, don't stand downwind because yeah. they'll t- they'll taste like kerosene. Right, Jeb. Right. Can you real quickly look at NTSB? I'm looking. I'm, is it, I'm is looking. there yet? I don't know. I'm not looking for NTSB. I'm looking for FAA right now. Is this last picture the one with the wires in it? Yeah. The, the the caption says the the photos were made at about six oh eight and the crash occurred approximately six fifteen, just a couple of a few minutes later, <clears throat> now, allowing for a little fudge time between you know the 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 clock on the uh, camera and the the because it doesn't appear anybody actually saw it except the people in the helicopter, uh, but yeah I'm I'm with you guys it's like 
Whiskey Tangle Foxtrot. Yeah, there's yeah. more to the story. and uh, Yeah, there is, definitely has to be. Yeah. Uh, you want to call it an off-field landing of the week because everybody got away? Well, the, you know, I don't know if he was... The, no, because he didn't obviously did not successfully land the airplane, aircraft. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it, it wasn't... It, it was a good landing in that everybody walked away. It just uh, wasn't a great landing in terms of you could use the aircraft again. Yeah. The, yeah. There's nothing on the NTSB site at this time, yeah, but the, the FAA website where they, they will occasionally, well, they'll, they'll generally, I should say, put up um, some preliminary information about accidents and other mishaps. Uh, the uh, in number on the uh, aircraft is uh, November 130, Alpha Lima. And basically, I'll just read the whole blurb here. It says, November 13, Alpha Lima, Eurocopter EC-130-B4 rotorcraft crash-landed in a field and caught fire near Noblesville, Indiana. Um, uh, minor, they're saying minor injuries among the passengers and crew, all six people aboard, quote-unquote minor injuries. I don't know what that means in, the con- in this context, but uh, uh, let's just see what the Google has to say about that particular in number. And uh, let's see, there's an ASN entry. There's a, let's see what FlightAware has to say. Yeah, apparently no one even went to the hospital on this. Yeah, apparently not. Um, and that's a little weird, all right? It's like the airplane landed, the aircraft landed hard enough to catch fire, but nobody got hurt bad enough to even want to get looked at. Yeah, the ambulance right. comes and uh, they look you over and they say, yeah, we'll put a Band-Aid on it. You need an ice pack for the bruise. Do you want to go to the hospital uh, to get checked out and... Everybody who walked away from the, the you know, the wreckage kind of goes, eh, eh, you know, I'll take the ice pack. Yeah. Anything there, Jeb? We should move on. I'm not seeing a whole lot, but I'm going to continue to look right. here real quick. Well, you keep quick. looking, and I'm going to move yeah. on by saying... Um, a, a little reminder, uh, uh, we announced last episode that we've uh, begun the first uh, uh, UCAP listener survey, uh, the uh, fall 2011 survey, and we've gotten some great responses already, and we really, really thank those listeners who took a moment to uh, go and uh, complete our survey. Um, some interesting information there, and uh, we're still kind of wading through it, and we haven't actually tabulated it yet, but but uh, it's it's turning out to be very very interesting as we hoped it would be and uh, the survey's still online it'll be online for at least a few more weeks so we uh, we we request that uh, listeners uh, take a moment if you haven't already go to uh, uncontrolledairspace.com/survey and uh, take about 3 or 4 minutes to uh, uh, click a bunch of boxes and type in a few words and let us know uh, some stuff about your reaction to our podcast it will help us in the future um and uh, and we'll eventually be reporting a little bit on some of the things we've learned and heard. Um, so uh, more of that will come later on. That's the listener survey. Um, since the last time we recorded an episode, it's been like a week and a half because of the delay that we had, uh, uh, the uh, the abort we had uh, last week. Um, I went to and attended uh, the uh, uh, UCAP uh, brunch meetup at Barnes Airport in Westfield, Massachusetts. And uh, about a dozen of us got together there and uh, had breakfast at the restaurant there that's right on the ramp on the field and had a good old time. Um, my thanks to uh, to Doug F. and Dave P., uh, who are buddies of mine from Nashua Airport, who uh, gave me a ride down there in their Bonanza, which was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, a cool airport, ba- uh, Barnes, is because it's uh, it's co-located with a uh, some sort of National Guard uh, 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 unit. 
And uh, as we were taxiing up to the public ramp, there are three F-15s sitting on the ramp, apparently getting fueled. And as we're having breakfast, they taxied out and met up with another two or three and all took off, you know, sort of in ones and twos. And that was kind of fun to watch. And uh, and then while they're gone, uh, some others return. While we were sitting there, a total of 10 fighter planes landed at Barnes and right out in front of us. And uh, some of them taxied back to the uh, to the guard base, which is over sort of on another part of the airport. But three F-18s that uh, were visiting weren't part of that unit, uh, taxied in and, and parked on the ramp. And it was very cool. We got to take our pictures in front of the airplanes and... Uh, um, you know, uh, all airports haven't become impossibly secure because these F-18s were right there on the ramp, you know, and although we did not, you know, out of uh, um, respect and probably wisdom did not approach these aircraft, um, they were right there on the ramp and we were able to take pictures and uh, and admire them from, you know, a bit of a distance and very, very cool. One bit of news that I wanted to uh, pass along from the brunch um, is uh, one of our listeners who attended the brunch is a uh, an employee of Terrafugia, the folks that are making the uh, the uh, uh, rotable uh, aircraft, um, whose name I'm blanking on now. What's it called? Uh, uh, help me. What's it called? Transition. Transition. Thank you very much. Um, and so the transition, uh, of course, they, they did a flying prototype about what, two years ago or something like that. And then based on what they learned from the first prototype, they uh, began building a second design prototype. And uh, and that um, had not, uh, it was still under the, under uh, being constructed. Uh, a couple of tidbits I got from our listener who works at Terrafugia. He says uh, the new prototypes are progressing just fine. Um, they were getting ready to road test them the following week, which would have been last week. So he thinks that uh, they may have actually taken them out of the shop and driven them around the parking lot, quite frankly, um, quite literally, and uh, uh, to test to see that they, in fact, can drive. And uh, he said that, that they're hoping that they will actually flight test them this winter sometime. So the, the new prototypes apparently are moving along quite nicely. And I was also asking him about the uh, sort of uh, reported uh, DARPA involvement uh, that Terrafugia has was supposedly making, because we all had this fantasy that you know, like DARPA was going to hire Terrafugia to build a flying, you know, Hummer or something like that, um, and we couldn't quite imagine how that would work. And he was clarifying it for me that in fact, no, uh, Terrafugia probably would not be the the uh, the vendor to build an entire aircraft like that, but rather um, Terrafugia, as it, as it turns out, has some some technology in the way that things like the wings fold and the way the whole thing works, all the structure and the mechanisms that are 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 unique and, and valuable. And so uh, Terrafugia is apparently working with some other uh, contractors to to uh, to build, you know, an, an entire military rotable aircraft. And that's kind of interesting too. So just a little report from uh, from our brunch back at Barnes. Jeff, Sounds like a Sounds like you had a ball. Yeah, we did have a there's, ball. It was a nice day. Some... It was a beautiful day too. It was a little chilly, but sunny and bright and 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 cavu. It was it was a nice day. Nice day, Jeb. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, that's okay. So, some luck. Um, found a couple of more news stories on this. Um, uh, one of them mentioned that. Um, um, let's see. Uh, here's a quote from a. Um, a neighbor says, "Quote: You could tell that the rotors were not. They did not sound right." There was a stutter to it, and then I heard it hit in the back, so I ran, explained uh, this witness. Um, people were, when she, when she got to the accident site, people were getting out. A couple of them were stumbling away. A couple of the men were bleeding from the head. One guy almost passed out. They were trying to help. There was a husband and wife. There were 
Iran, and they had to carry her over to where she would be safe. Um, the uh, fire department said all walked away uh, with minor injuries, so there's, you know, there's confirmation of the FAA data. Um, but, um, there's, but that there's, eyewitness account doesn't sound like minor injuries. I don't know if that... Well, yeah, yeah. Here, 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 there's another uh, um, comment. It says, um, it says another quote. I should say it dropped dramatically and quickly, and then there was a pop of flames, and that's when I called nine eleven. Um, there's no what I look for in 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 stories like this is um, um, additional information, quote unquote, and. Mm-hmm. The, informa- the additional information I'm looking for in the way of a smoking gun here is that, hey, there happened to be a coincidental power outage in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, but I don't see any of that in any okay. of these news stories. One of them is uh, uh, MSNBC. Another one is uh, local newspaper, IndyStar.com. And um, a third one is the uh, Journal Gazette in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, none of them mention anything about, um, you know, a power outage or anything like that. They, they're basically all sticking with the story that we discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know yeah. what's going on yeah, here. Yeah, it know? makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, we need to put this on the You know, we've talked a lot over the, in the recent past about uh, revisiting some of these kinds of stories that mm-hmm. we've talked about mm-hmm. in the past. Um, but in the meantime, maybe we ought to like create a, a sub list that has uh, you know incomplete stories and to remind right. us to come back and visit them in you know a month or three months or something like that. And uh, well, again, looking looking at uh, the original news story here and these original images that uh, uh, were posted. Um, well, there's another news story here. Let me let me. I'll have to dive into it. But um, um, there's just something kind of weird. About um, the um, I'm guessing, one, well, one of the one of the skids on the airplane is just something a little weird about it. There's some structure or some uh, um, uh, component or some something that's uh, hanging down from underneath uh, the fuselage and apparently attached to uh, the right skid. Uh, of the aircraft and at the trailing edge of the aircraft. I don't know what that is. It's not a step kind of thing because that would not be an appropriate structure uh, there. And then and there's no step per se. I mean, there's there, there might be an access panel to the engine compartment or transmission or something like that. Uh, certainly nothing to the cabin uh, from that far aft on that skid. So I don't know what's going on here. Um, yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll try and remember really to check odd. back later on when uh, yeah. when more information has been published. Shout-outs. Uh, one sad shout-out here. Uh, the uh, We talked uh, in a recent episode of uh, an off-field landing of the week uh, where a pilot suffered a heart attack while flying his experimental aircraft and mm-hmm. managed to land the aircraft safely before uh, becoming unconscious. Um, and was taken to the hospital. Uh, it turns out that sadly this gentleman uh, did in fact die from the heart attack uh, soon after uh, the uh, the landing. And uh, uh, very, very sad, uh, Steve Nussbaum of uh, Hebron, I believe it was Illinois. Um, and uh, our, our condolences go out to uh, his family and friends and, and, and everybody involved in his life. Um, a sad, sad thing. But uh, 
you know, you, uh, you gotta you gotta say something for a guy that would be going through that sort of a of a crisis and still manage to fly the airplane. And uh, you know, right. I, I hope that I will have that kind of you know, of uh, of uh, you know discipline. Um, should I get myself into a jam, fly the airplane. It's important. Any other shout-outs? Uh, one real quickly uh, to uh, Bill Doty, D-O-T-Y, um, uh, neighbor here at Hidden River. He is the winner of this year's uh, spot landing contest. Ah, um, I forgot. I was going to mean to ask you about that. Okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, I... I uh, um, did you participate, uh, or were you just I did, a I, presenter? I did, I did participate. Uh, how, should I, how should I word this? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I arrived um, uh, back home early that morning as as people were setting up and kind of glanced at my watch and and did some other things and did a little math in my head and discovered that I had a little eight hour bottled throttle problem and I had to go uh, resolve that and uh, <laughs> um, so I was I I was uh, um, completely uh, legal and all that kind of thing to fly but perhaps not at my best let's just put it that way I see okay so so you just were you became a, you were a presenter you presented the trophy to the new I I, did, I wasn't really even involved in that I had some other stuff going on that day and had to kind of bug out but uh, uh, and, uh, um, uh, hats off to Bill um, um, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll join the battle again next year yeah isn't Bill Doty the name of the guy who writes the popular mechanic, you know, how to build things cartoons? Yeah, you know, I, this particular Bill Doty's a retired airline pilot, to the best of my knowledge. Okay, sorry, I'm just. Uh, and he's in fact, he, he in fact just uh, you know wound up finally buying the house that I used to live in. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's that, that gentleman, the same guy yeah. who was renting it yeah. for a while, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. History repeats itself. Yeah, see. Oh, it's Roy Doty is the cartoonist. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, Roy yeah. Doty is the cartoonist. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Bill Doty on both on yes. becoming a resident at Hidden River, which is pretty cool, uh, and uh, or becoming a fer- more or less permanent resident, and uh, and for for his and Bill, skills. if you walk out by the kiosk out there next to the taxiway, you can get cell reception there. That's right. That's where to go. You stand out there at the intersection. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, real, real quickly, also, while I kind of sort of have what's left of the floor here, um, the uh, uh, petition about which we discussed a few moments ago relative to the FAA charting uh, uh, issue, um, there are now 17 signatures uh, on that petition. But there's a real, uh, thankful, you know, at least the White House does something right here. Uh, a, a good link to that petition at this particular point in time is wh.gov, whiskeyhotel.gov, slash jcz, slash Juliet Charlie Zulu. Uh, the Charlie and Zulu are in uppercase. The J is in uh, lowercase. So I'm not sure if the the... the case of the letters make any difference to the white house website Probably but that's does. the way they were that's the way they were generated here so whiskey hotel dot golf oscar victor slash juliet uppercase charlie uppercase zulu will take you to this petition uh this is something that we as a community i think really need to do excellent excellent thank you thank you that's it. Time to put a fork in it here. And uh, let, let, let me do it real quick. Oh, you got another one. Go ahead. Just a real quick. Yeah. Uh, not knowing how we're going to handle the next couple of weeks. December one, 
everybody give a tip of your hat to the Civil Air Patrol. It'll be 70 years old ah. on December 1. Uh, down in uh, Alabama at their national headquarters, they'll actually be honoring a couple of members who've been serving since World War II uh, in the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, CAP was born on December 1, 1941. And it's kind of a hedge against the possibility that we might be in a war soon. And lo and behold, seven days later, we were in a war. Yeah, very cool. And it it flew coastal patrols in those days, uh, looked for submarines, uh, had a big part in the national defense, uh, still does today, does search and rescue, and helps bring a a lot of youngsters along into aviation through the cadet program. So happy, happy, uh, birthday. Yes, happy birthday to them. Excellent, excellent program. Okay, now it's time to stick a fork in this one. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for Lund's... Lund- okay, I'll start over again. The U.S. <laughs> editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Empire.com, AEA.net, uh, blum, blum, blum. Uh, hither and on, under a rock sometimes. And Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is still up last time I checked. Um, JEBurnside.com is still up also, but probably ought to be taken down. Um, AEA.net occasionally and uh, AvWeb.com occasionally. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously use the Google on me also. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Um, Royce Earl also was the author of the uh, the the, uh, the new, different uh, intro piece that we used on this episode. So we thank him for being the first person to submit one of these new intros, and hopefully there will be more coming along uh, before long. So uh, thanks to, to Royce, especially for that. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. Also, go there to uh, please fill out the listener survey at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com slash survey, and you can check out all of that stuff at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? Live long. Go fly, because time spent flying. It's not subtracted from your lifespan. Every hour counts. Bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFFN. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.